listeners, and welcome to another episode of FF Plus, your spoiler-free outlet for movie reviews, entertainment recommendations, and discussions. I'm one of your hosts, Aaron, and with me is my trusty sidekick, Kales. Good evening, everybody. It is, and it is indeed evening. I don't know if we can call it evening. It is nighttime. It is... Nocturnal. It is late. That was another thing. Uh, we were having a conversation about our uh, uh, talk that I had with our press publicist after the screening this evening, and one of the other things she asked me, she's like, do you guys go home and record tonight? And I was like, yeah, we are. We're going to burn the midnight oil to talk about this movie. And so without further ado, we'll jump into this movie. This movie is called Reminiscence, which is much easier to say than it is to type, I will tell you. I've tried to type it several times now, and I have failed every single time and had to use the auto-correct function because it's got a lot of weird vowels in there. Uh, too many, frankly. Uh, the movie stars Hugh Jackman, Rebecca Ferguson, Thondi Newton, Cliff Curtis, Marina de Tavira, Daniel Wu, Mojin Aria, Brett Cullen, Natalie Martinez, Angela Serafian, and Nico Parker. It is directed and written by Lisa Joy, her directorial debut. She also co-created and executive produced Westworld along with her husband, and you will notice that several uh, prominent Westworld actors are in this film. What is it about? Nick Bannister, a private investigator of the mind, with a very private investigator kind of name, I might add, navigates the alluring world of the past when his life is changed by new client May. A simple case becomes an obsession after she disappears, and he fights to learn about the truth. All right, man. Well, let's jump right here and go to some of the things we liked. Was there anything that stuck out to you that you just really latched onto and thought was a great quality of this movie? The idea of us going back and trying to relive our past to escape from our current troubles. I mean, it, the film opens with this guy who was a part of a war and Hugh Jackman's character was also part of this war as well. And he's looking to go back and relive the times where, you know, he had legs and he was throwing catch with his dog and just is trying to escape the current unrest because we're dropped into this city. The city is basically going underwater. I think it's Miami. And it's basically going underwater. <laughs> and it is, the only people yeah. who the only people who have safe refuge refuge from the water are the rich people. And everybody else is having to survive or die. And the idea of people who are just looking for nostalgia, looking for a way to escape, but without the use of drugs, but wouldn't going back and jacking yourself into your memories over and over again, wouldn't it be the almost the same idea as a drug addiction, in a sense? Because yeah. you're, you're you're not living in the present. You're not living in the now, which is what life should be most valuable. You're kind of just going back and hoping to get that spark again. It's almost like someone who goes and does hard drugs. Like they say, when you hit your first high, a drug addict, they're trying to hit that first high over and over again. They can't because that first high was just a one singular experience. And your brain has already gotten used to the drug that you're ingesting. So it's hard to really get that sense or that moment back. And this mm -hmm. film deals with a lot of people who are trying to go back in time to fill out moments again, to relive something or to figure out things that they are struggling with mysteries, you know, ambiguities. And it's 
kind of just sad to see these people who are living just trapped by the inception of their thoughts. Did you just say the inception of their thoughts? Because no obsession, obsession. Oh, see, I'm I know hearing, you wanted. <laughs> I'm here in Inception because uh, you know the way that this movie deals with memory is very similar to how Inception deals with dreams, mm-hmm. and I mean it's really no surprise because Lisa Joy, who wrote this film, again her first primary like written script. Actually, she'd been shopping this around since 2013, mm. which I read, which is fascinating because that was much more close to the launch of inception her husband is jonathan nolan who co-wrote inception with his brother chris and having read chris's book i know about how those two would collaborate while driving down the road and do their writing process together listen jonathan nolan is not a credited writer on this film but if you've paid attention to the work that jonathan nolan has done as well i i find it hard to believe that these two husband and wife didn't sit around the breakfast table like throwing out ideas and so the dna in inception and the way that inception is like a blockbuster with this big heady sci-fi concept it feels like this movie's trying to copy that in a sense i I don't want to say copy in a negative way it's trying to use it's wants to tell a similar story that that's what it wants to do and i agree with you man i thought that the memory stuff was the best aspect of the movie really it's fascinating it's a really cool visual way of showing it there's this like cylindrical thing that puts the memories out in 3d and i actually there was one point in the movie where i was kind of like questioning i was like you know this isn't how memory works if you're reading a memory of me wouldn't it be my my viewpoint right like it'd be first person Hmm? pov it wouldn't be this 360 but they actually explain that in the film why it's got this cylindrical nature why you can see everything around that memory. And I thought that was cool. And they talked about uh, some of the stuff in there of how memory functions in a very specific way. And you can, there was a scene where they're talking about, would she be able to remember having lost something? And he's explaining to her that you, if you never paid any attention to it in the first place, then you not, you're not going to have a memory of it to draw from. And I just thought that was kind of a fascinating concept as well, because it's very similar, right? Like to reality, if we don't really put any weight or importance on something, then we're not going to have a memory of it. But something that was impactful, a moment in time, we are. And I'll be honest, like the concept here of wanting to relive some of my best moments i dude sign me up like i would pay for this <laughs> drug i would like it's bad and it shows itself to be questionable and i like that about this movie too i thought that it was you know it doesn't it probably could have div- dive deeper into this in my opinion and, and it would have been better but it does show some pros and cons of this technology and what it has meant for this world and so I thought, yeah, the concept is so cool and it's worth, you know, exploring. It's an interesting idea. Personally, I also love Rebecca Ferguson's performance. I thought she was great. She was the high point acting wise in the movie for me. Yes, this is a film that depends on its stars, depends heavily on its stars. I mean, there's Rebecca Ferguson and there's Hugh Jackman. And this is not going to rank among Hugh Jackman's best performances, but he's definitely serviceable. He's definitely 
you know, a linchpin in the film that, you know, you can depend on to kind of carry you through the motions. And he does do that. But Rebecca, she comes in like a wrecking ball. You know, she she comes in, kind of takes your breath away, <laughs> in a sense, with her character. It's just over time in the film, it felt that, that her journey kind of got kind of got muddled by the way that the plot started going into and we, we we start diving into the mystery we start going into okay who is this person like she says she's this but really her aim is this and you kind of get to a point where it's like okay do i really know who this person is and is this person really a bad person and you're kind of grappling with that as a viewer you want to believe that she's good because we're seeing the film almost from hugh jackson's eyes he's following her he can't get enough of wanting to relive and figure out what happened to her. You know, she's lost, she went away, and he clearly wants her back. And I'm not going to spoil it, but over time, we begin to, we begin to um, kind of unveil the drapes on who she is. And it's a very shocking revelation about what part she has in the heinous plot that the protagonists, the antagonists, actually, of this film are involved in. Yeah, I mean, and that's, you know, it's got it's got a lot of elements to it. And that's, I will say, I really appreciated the attempt to put all of these different genres together. This is a movie that takes a post-apocalyptic cautionary tale about the world having suffered a major environmental disaster and and its effects on humanity's psyche and it mixes it with an action blockbuster there's some pretty great action scenes i thought some good visuals of that post-apocalyptic nature with the cities that are basically flooded now and then you throw in a very noir 80s noir crime thriller but also romance style and it's just a ton of things and it's a really neat way to go about telling this story and so i respect the heck out of the attempt and it was a big big challenge um and so i i just thought it was i, I like seeing stuff like this coles we were talking i think before you got to the theater i was talking to a couple guys about how one of the reasons i love sci-fi movies is because they go for big, big swings. And I know that you largely thought this was a miss. And I think a lot of people are going to feel that. And I understand that. But I put a lot of weight on that swing, right? Because sci-fi has a wide range. And when it hits, it's, at, it's like mind-blowing worth it, right? But you're going you're gonna to have to go through and wade through some of this average type fare or disappointing fare in order to get to that and and I felt personally like the strength a strength of this film is that it to me it's going to be a building block for a first time writer and director because I can see the talent I can see the ideas there they just need to be brought together and I, and I'm excited to see where that goes so well, I, I I can yeah go ahead <laughs> no I I was going to support what you're saying about the swing one thing that me and you have both acknowledged in past podcasts is on debut films is that we always admire somebody who comes out with just this crazy complex and intelligent laden idea for a film 
and is willing to put it all on the line in their debut film, not willing to play it safe, willing to go out there and make something happen. And Lisa Joy, I think this is a good building block for her. The film may not be up to a quality, but it, it would be unfair to shade somebody in their directorial debut for trying these many ideas. You know, it's all about fine tuning. It's like, it's like if me and you are trying to go out there and play piano for the first time, when we probably play piano for the first time, it's going to suck. <laughs> it's it's not like we're going to be Mozart or Beethoven right. able to conduct symphonies and orchestras and everything like that. Like, no, there's a starting place for everything. We're not, Rome was built in a day. Uh, th- there's always an opportunity to learn and be able to grow. And I think that Lisa Joy, while once again, the film may not be up to the par of what you would expect and something that I would sit through again, I think that this is a good starting point for her to be able to jump off this and be able to work on work on some kinks, work on some writing, work on some directing, you know, issues, and then be able to come back bigger and better for um, a sophomore feature. Yeah, yeah, I agree, man. I agree. With that said, let's transition into some dislikes uh, and what what kind of bugged us about this. I'll start here, and then I'll let you go real quick. I just want to say. When I walked out of the theater, we actually looked up the film before we, I was going to say before we hit play, we didn't touch play, but before it started, <laughs> and I kind of had a moment of shock because I read that it was two and a half hours long, and mm. come to find out, we walked out of the theater, and it was actually less than two hours, but it felt like three hours. <laughs> it did. It felt like so, an epic. <laughs> that is, I didn't know whether to put that in the likes because it ended up being much shorter than I and I like that, but it also is not necessarily good if it feels like a three-hour movie and it only went for two hours. It It is a bit of a slog, and I say slog in a weird way because a lot of people might say, oh, slog, that means it's not very action-y or you know, exciting. No, there's plenty of action and excitement. It's just really drawn out, I think. And, and for me, when we talk about all those genres together, the one big issue that i have with this movie and i say if you pull this part of it out i think it could have been fine-tuned into something really interesting the post-apocalyptic nature of the world they spend quite a bit of time on this world building and they try to tie the environmental disaster into the reason for the antagonist and the plot and it just feels too much there's too much going on there's too much to explain and it it's like, this is really cool visually, and that's why you put it there. It doesn't necessarily need to be there to... I think there could have been a much, much better implementation of using this tech to tell a similar detective-like and romance nature of a story without having to make it into a blockbuster because you have really cool flooded cities and people you know, fighting in the water and such. So that was the part of the movie that I think, pun intended, sank it for me ultimately and the parts that I didn't like the most. Well, if we had a one word takeaway from this film, I think we would both agree that explanation <laughs> would be the one word takeaway. That's a good word, yeah. I, from the from the beginning of the film, it feels like that this film is almost like a teacher. Like you're about to do you're about to take a test. But the teacher is worried that you may not know the answers, that you may not know the information that you need to pass the test. So you know what they're going to do? They're going to give you an open book test or they're going to be right there explaining to you everything you need to know about the problem so you can get the right answer. And 
there's no intrigue really with this story, which is what I was actually looking forward to as a money point from this film, from the trailers I saw. I thought that I was going to be going into a mystery thriller and be able to try to like put together the pieces and everything. Cause that's the thrill of watching a mystery is watching something unfold and trying to put the pieces together to wonder what's going to happen, who's involved in this and how would it resolve itself. But at every corner you turn, this film explains to you what's happening. I mean, you go, you have scenes with the cops and they're telling you, oh, this person, well, he's um Crazy Joe's sidekick or he's a corrupt cop that's working along with Crazy Joe. Or then Hugh Jackman is telling you everything you need to know about the memories thing. Or he's trying to drop you a message like, hey, you know, your past, you know, you can live back in your past. And it's like a bead on the necklace. And, <laughs> and then you have, other times where the, the the protagonist will tell you exactly what they're going to do and why they did these actions and there's no amount of of you know ambiguity there there's no ambiguous yeah. there's no there's no like mystery being told is laid out for you that's and it'll be fine this is just like a normal action blockbuster but this film is like it wants to aspire to be like a, a think piece film Something for people to talk about and dissect, but there's nothing to dissect here. I mean, everything is laid out for you, and by the end, it kind of is anticlimactically in a sense. And there's nothing for you to really go back and try to figure out, like, oh, like, is I we keep bringing up Inception because this film feels like it's like the child of this, but Inception, do you know, like, still 10 years later, people are going back and still trying to figure out, hey. How did this happen? What does this care to me when they said this? Like, it's a film that makes you want to go back and keep looking for answers and details. This film, you see it, boom, shut, done. There's no kind of, like, water cooler talk you can get with this. There's nothing. There's not going to be any YouTube videos about, well, the theory of reminiscing is this. There's not going to be anything because the theory is already given to you. Signed, yep. sealed, delivered. I'm yours. Yep. You're right. You're right. It's too much. It's you're abs- I, I love how you put that. It, you, it needed ambiguity. It needed not necessarily just an ending that is uncertain, but something about the way the tech works needs needed to be left interesting and not for the purpose of setting up a sequel because Inception didn't set up a sequel, but just for the purpose of giving us a reason to think about it and question things. And yeah, man, I, I couldn't agree more. I also think that to the detriment of Rebecca Ferguson's really great performance is that she gives that despite absolutely I I thought her dialogue was very poorly written. I think her character was essentially very poorly conceived in my opinion. I know they were going for damsel in distress at one point and femme fatale at one point. I just think that her acting prowess deserved more and she could have been something completely like one of the year's best if given the material to work with within this idea and so it was just so over dramatic the way that her character arc played out and i and i i was i was left really wishing i more for her I mean, Rebecca's not the only one that suffers from bad characterization. I mean, everybody Thondi, else in this film Thondi does. Newton, too, man. Oh, my goodness. Thondi like, Newton. My goodness. <laughs> I feel like she was almost wasted. Like, I, it was, I really thought because she was second build in the movie, I thought, or second, I guess second or third, but coming from Westworld with Lisa Joy, I thought she was going to have a much 
not necessarily bigger role, but more impactful role. But she's such a such a side piece to she's uh, she's acting in service to Hugh Jackman's character. She's just yeah. there just to service him. <laughs> I mean, literally, a, yeah. There's even a point to where we don't even really understand where she comes from until Hugh Jackman explains where she comes from and like who she was and why is like she's working with him. Like there are there are scenes where each character gets a point to explain themselves and pretty much give an explanation to who they are. And it's like that's not characterization. Characterization is showing a character doing something and then that gives you an open viewpoint into who they are. But no, you get that new who tells you like, hey, um, you know, I have a kid and, you know, uh, I'm not the maternal type or anything like that. And I know I, we just don't see each other. And I was like, OK, but you pretty much explained everything about your backstory. You didn't really give me any clues yeah, into how nothing. you really feel about that. I mean, <laughs> I mean, even the the other supporting characters, like I said before, this film really depends on its leads, Hugh Jackman and Rebecca, because these supporting performances are poor. They are poor. Like Crazy Joe, the the and the short-lived antagonist in this film, he's kind of almost like the Instagram version of what a drug kingpin would be now. I mean, you know, he's a guy that's kind of like got the stylized hair, and he's sitting around. He says dialogue like this, and like a care in the world, and he's very vicious. And then we move on to some of these other characters, and they just really can't stand to Hugh in a scene. Like it's like almost it's almost like. Cliff Curtis as the other antagonist. Yeah, it's actually all the antagonists all the way to the like even the the surprise ones like in the end. It's just it's yeah, it's bad like that part. I can't even there's no defending. Honestly, like I wanted to I I didn't like them at all. And I thought that they were really a negative in a big way for sure. Uh, Yeah, it's 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 a mixed bag and and a lot of it doesn't work, um, unfortunately. And and. That's a bummer. It's a bummer. Uh, is there anything else big time that you wanted to point out on the dislike side? Um, not really big time, but I like how this film introduces like the rich Baron. He's supposed to be the major villain in this film because there's this guy who's buying up all this land in Miami, and you know he's keeping it all mostly for himself, and he's able to build up be a part of this dam that's keeping all the water away, and the people in the city are rioting after him, but we only really see two scenes with him. And everything else that he does is explained by other characters, including his wife and his son. And it's like, well, good thing you brought this character in, but two scenes, he's gone. And it's like, okay, I thought he was going to be the the big, big villain of this film, but no. <laughs> yeah, I agreed. Agreed. Needed a lot of help to make it. Should have brought in Brother Chris to uh, help make this a lot. Maybe. I don't know. After <laughs> 10, I shouldn't. Or Who maybe knows? a Matt anyway. Damon cameo or something. <laughs> yeah, just, just, just distract people and it will make it all better. Um, okay, so the film is a day and date, same as most of Warner Brothers' slate for this year. It will be in theaters and streaming on HBO Max on August the 20th. I'm going to recommend that it is worth a theater viewing. If you're into this kind of sci-fi, and the reason I say that is because I do think that it plays really well on the big screen. I think if you are at all being stingy with your money and you are a, you know, I'm only going to see one or two movies every quarter, or I really only want to go to the theaters for the absolute best possible, 
Stay tuned for our Shang-Chi review coming early next week, but I would tell you save your dough for a better movie. But I think, Coles, that the gen- I, my prediction, you can come check this in oh, two weeks from now or something. We'll go look at the Rotten Tomatoes score. I think that this is going to land with general audiences much better than with critics. And I think that it's mm-hmm. going to do really well on HBO Max. I really do. It's a barely right at two hours, super high concept, but accessible high concept because of its action and post-apocalyptic elements with recognizable superstars that are pretty universally loved. And I think they're going to be a lot more forgiving of all of the stuff that we find to be less than stellar. Um, So I think people should check it out. That's what I think. What about you? I can't go as high as recommending it for theater viewing, even though the IMAX treatment was actually kind of nice, you know, given the sound and some of the visuals and the landscapes that are provided on the screen. As far as HBO Max, I mean, why not? I mean, this could be a, this is going to be a wild card film. This is, can go either way for a lot of people. But like you said, general audience, I mean, our audience, I didn't really hear too many grumps and humps. I, I heard some laughter. People were laughing at a couple of the jokes. People seemed to be very interested. I didn't hear much talking. So I think the audience will be down for this more than critics because, you know, critics and audience. I mean, that's a constant divide. And there's going to be a big debate about this. Most likely when the Rotten Tomatoes ratings, they probably already debuted by now. But yes, um, I would recommend it for HBO Max as a wild card. But personally, I'm not feeling this film. That's fair. I mean, that's what we're here to do. And so we'll let people decide for themselves and then they can come back and tell us what they thought. That's the best part. All right. We're going to move on into our streaming picks. So anytime we only have one movie, we like to give you a little bit extra here tonight. This won't take very long. I'm going to just kind of throw my recommendation out there. So I went on a bit of a binge, <laughs> which is a big time understatement because I'd been playing so many video games. And honestly, what happened is I saw the Green Knight in a the theater. It was my first theater viewing outside of a press screening in a long time. And I was like, oh, my gosh, this movie is incredible. And I couldn't stop thinking about it. And I was like, I need to, you know, we need to talk about this right away. And it was that kind of feeling. And it launched me into watching a bunch of movies over that weekend, I ended up hitting like 28 in a seven day period, which was my high for the year so far. And is pretty nuts. Honestly, I just had a lot of, I had a lot of days at home that week. My cat or my cat, my dog was getting neutered. And so anywho, I digress. Point being is one of the things that I checked out was a movie that was on my watch list. I had not heard of it until the recent announcement of it getting a criterion edition. It's called Deep Cover. It's from 1992. It was directed by Bill Duke. And it stars Lawrence Fishburne and Jeff Goldblum. I knew nothing about this, Coles, other than it's a movie (laughs) that looked to me, because of who was in it, it looked to be like a 90s action crime movie, right? I expected kind of a Lawrence Fishburne running through the streets, Wesley Snipes style, early 90s, a little gritty kind of thing. What I got, and I didn't know Jeff Bullbloom was in this movie going into it, so let me tell you how shocked I was when he showed up on the screen for the first time in the character that he plays. Oh boy, that was a bit of a system-like jolt to me. But this movie, man, this blew me away. 
Uh, it was one of those where I was immediately thought to myself, oh, that's why it got the Criterion treatment. Oh, I need to buy that immediately. I've never seen a movie quite like this. It is a typical 90s crime thriller in a sense, but it's also an urban drama. And I think it's so much more. It is super stylistically shot. There's all kinds of, there's Dutch angles, your favorite, are in there. Um, there is a lot of like reaction shots, a typical kind of a 90s thing. Some of them work, some of them different, where you zoom in on a camera, camera on a, a character's face as they're like exclaiming in a big way. Goldblum's performance in this, he is, so, so the, the premise essentially is Lawrence Fishburne is a young kid whose dad is a junkie and his dad gets killed robbing a store and he watches it happen. And his dad says, don't do drugs because drugs are bad, right? And this is all about the drug culture and how it has infected the black community in a big way in America in general, but specifically the black community. And Lawrence Fishburne grows up, becomes a cop, and ends up getting set on this undercover mission to take down these local drug lords who are part of, you know, they answer to a Mexican cartel. And it's Jeff Goldblum is a money laundering slash kind of attorney for also a drug group, but but has like this side goal of creating a synthetic drug that he wants to put out on the market. He kind of wants to go out on his own, but he's a very typical like white guy who wants to be get a piece of this, who thinks it's like really exotic and interesting. He loves black women and black culture and, and it feels like he wants to be a part of this thing that he really has no business like being in this world. And his character is just kind of a little unhinged, becomes more and more unhinged, a little unhinged as the film goes and builds and boils into like this crazy explosion that is just, I just loved his performance uh, like so much. And Lawrence Fishburne has like this ton of this pathos, like deep within him because he's going through this situation where he's never done drugs. He's always avoided these things because of what happened with his father. He is dead set against this world and he has to start acting in a very immoral way in order to get where he needs to get to eventually try and take down the guys at the top. That's how it, I mean, it's classic, right? It's how it works. It's how it works in Fast and Furious. It's how it works in Point Break. You get corrupted when you do a thing. I mean, it's reality. I've always wondered how Undercover works ever because you do a thing long enough, you become that thing, period. Like, it is just a natural way that life is. And it's really interesting. And, and I think it's moving and it's, uh, it's, it's hard to watch how he goes through these changes. Um, and, and it, you know, look, there are so many lines of amazing dialogue in this movie. I, I wrote a bunch of them in my letterbox review. Feel free to check them out. But like, there's just like a, a list of them and you could dissect them and go into a lengthy conversation about them. And the, and the fact that what we watch taking place in a movie that in a story that is dealing with race and, and power dynamics and American relationship with drugs, all of these things are still an issue today is sad, so saddening because it's 30 years later or whatever and like nothing hardly has changed. Um, it's just it's it's really painful in a way, but it's a super good movie to watch. Like it's incredibly enjoyable. 
Um, it's fast paced. It's got it doesn't have a lot of bullets flying like I thought, like a Wesley Snipes movie or something like it's not that kind of movie. And the violence that you do see is brutal and for a very strong purpose. It's it's meant to not be glamorous like Jeff Goldblum's character wants it to be. Right. And he has to eventually reckon with that in a, in a good way. So, um, yeah, I mean, I was immersed in this from start to finish. I was like enraptured by it. The dialogue is cracking all the way through. Not a single boring scene. And it gave us in the credits. It also has a, an entirely awesome hip hop soundtrack the whole way through. But the credits scene gives us the introduction of one Mr. Snoop Doggy Dog in the song Deep Cover. So it's amazing. Like, that's just a really cool aspect of this one that I was totally not expecting either because uh, I knew nothing about it. But yeah, to it goes straight on to my Criterion Edition. Like, it's on my wish list. I'm going to pick it up as soon as possible and rewatch it with the commentary. Excited to dive into the extras. It's on HBO Max. There's no reason you guys listening should not check this out. I highly recommend it. I'm so happy to see that you love that film. That's been one of my favorite films for the last few years now. I remember I watched it about five years ago, and it was on Amazon Prime, and I remember just being transfixed by, not just by Lawrence Fishburne, but by the way Bill Duke directed this film. I mean, it's a neo-noir, and it has some of the best use of narration in the film I've ever seen, to be honest. I mean, it's a guy that clearly has to go into deep when it comes to undercover, and like you said, I couldn't imagine doing like this, something like this for a job, you know, having to go in and have yourself change and become immoral in order to win the game. And for a black man, for Lawrence Fishburne's character, for him being used as a lackey for the federal law enforcement agencies, for the police department, it's a it's a tenfold tragedy <laughs> in a sense. Um, I can't wait to get the criterion myself and. Man, I'm so glad that you love this film because I saw your letterbox review and I was like, yes, got yeah. another one. <laughs> well, and this and this is a great point. Like you, you've got to step out of your comfort zone every once in a while. I understand not everybody is going to spend an entire week watching silent films and old classics or movies, but this is black exploitation. I thought I hated black exploitation, but because of the way that Bill Duke takes that genre and molds it with this noir thing, it's it's. It blew me like I would have never, ever checked this out. Like it was not something that triggered my appeal. I took a chance and I got to see something that was mind blowing. And sometimes you just got to do that. Right. So if you're listening, just do that. Well, what you got, man? What have you been watching that you wanted to talk about? Just like you, I've been watching a lot. Not 28 films in seven days a lot, <laughs> but I've been watching a lot of films. And uh, the spotlight I want to put on is the Daniel Craig James Bond films. Now. James Bond, for me, has always been the series I've been able to easily pigeonhole into this concept. There's a secret agent. He's dashing. He's handsome. Uh, he's very good at his job. He goes across the world and he fights these villains that sometimes have plans to destroy or dominate the world. And so this is what you're going to get in a James Bond film. You're going to get a lot of action. You're going to get a lot of beautiful women. <laughs> you're going to get James Bond at the end. He's going to get the bad guy, and he's going to get the girl, and then boom, that's the end. But the one thing that was always missing is that you never really got into who his character was. You never really got into the struggles that he faces being an MI6 agent out in the field. You never really saw the demons that he had in the background. All you saw was just this 
dashing super agent who looks cool and he does a lot of cool things. He gets to travel to all these exotic places, but you never learn about him as a character. So diving into Casino Royale, which is the first film that Daniel Craig played James Bond, it immediately became my favorite James Bond film ever so far. Uh, it, it goes deep into James Bond beyond the cool stuff, beyond the gadgets, beyond the weapons, beyond the vehicles beyond the women it's a guy who is essentially feels that he's trapped doing <laughs> doing this job of bringing down these criminals and it's a dangerous job i mean in most of these films he feels like he's almost about to die if not at the hands of a criminal but by the hands of him just working too hard or pushing himself too hard or the trauma from his past you know his parents the way that he was brought up as an orphan the 007 agency being closed down. I mean, we deal with this throughout these four films, and some are better than others, but the general consensus of is that we're finally seeing James Bond as a fully fleshed character. And it feels like a more mature version of James Bond. I hope that we can continue to have this, no matter who takes up the mantle after Craig or after that. I hope that this is a trend that we continue on with the James Bond films. Casino Royale, easy five star for me. Quantum of Solace felt like a B action film. It felt like that they were trying to revert back to the James Bond of old. I mean, we get some great action, but then we also get a female character that really doesn't have any agency. She's there for her looks. And then we get a villain that really is not memorable. You kind of lose track of who he is. And by the end, you kind of don't care what happens to him. You're just ready for him to die or just get his comeuppance by some way. So Quantum of Solace, it's a, it's a B film. It's okay. Skyfall, amazing. Um, one thing I wanted to talk about is that Casino Royale and Quantum of Solace, they don't have good Bond song. But Skyfall with Adele, that opened up the floodgates. And I was immediately, and it immediately became one of my favorite Bond songs. A few of the other ones are, of course, Goldfinger, Diamonds Are Forever, um, Die Another Day. I'm just joking. Die Another Day is not one of my favorites, no. <laughs> well, We'll leave that back in um, 2002 where it, where it deserves. But We're going to Sky... need a whole letterbox list of the James Bond filmography song ranking from you. Yes, I, I think I will get that once I finish all of the rest of them. Skyfall was another great film. We have Javier Bardem. This guy is so good at just playing villains. I mean, it, it, he's become a master at it at this point, And I don't want him to be typecasted because he's a much more diverse actor than just playing villains. But his performance in this film... Amazing. He became immediately one of the best Bond villains I've seen on screen. And of course, I love the action. You have Sam Mendes, the guy behind American Beauty, 1917. It almost like he is able to not be as much as impressive as Casino Royale was, but he's able to take the Bond series into bigger heights. You know, Roger Deakins' cinematography. I mean, it's probably the best looking Bond film I've ever seen. And then you get to um, Spectre. And Spectre had a lot of promise. You have Christopher Waltz as your villain. <laughs> you have Daniel Craig coming back. You have many opportunities to just close this this um, four-pack of films in a good way. And it feels like it kind of reverts back to the past once again. I mean, this these series of films is very frustrating. You get highs. You get Casino Royale, which starts off with a bang. Then you get Quantum of Solace that kind of takes two steps back. Then you get Skyfall, which puts you back at the same level as the Casino Royale. And then you get Spectre, which kind of puts you two steps back again. Um, the chemistry between Bond and, you know, the lady of interest in the film just didn't hit me. If the script 
definitely needed a lot of work. Christopher Waltz was undead. It's not on Christopher Waltz that his villain performance was kind of underwhelming. It's it's more evolving in the script. But I noticed the pattern. So if Spectre was not that good, then hey, No Time to Die is definitely going to be a blast. <laughs> and I would recommend for anybody to check out these films. Uh, hey, go through the whole James Bond set if you want to. I, I love the Sean Connery films. I love a little bit of Roger Moore. Pierce Bronson, um, a few of them are good. Just don't watch Die Another Day. But the Daniel Craig Bond films really take the Bond franchise into new heights, more maturity, and just better filmmaking altogether. And I am all fully caught up and ready for No Time to Die to get here. Unless it gets delayed again, which it probably will. <laughs> <laughs> Tell him like it is. You know it's happening. Yeah, I... No, I love it, man. I, I recently went through them, I, recently, meaning, I don't know, in the last year and a half, because I was getting ready for No Time to Die before one of its many delays, and I, I actually like them all. I, I like Spectre more than I thought I did, but it's not the best either, by far. So I'm right there with you, and I hope that your idea turns out to be correct, and that it's just a matter of <laughs> alternating greatness, and we go out on an absolute amazing high i mean the cast i mean god i'm ready like it's it looks good it looks like it can do it so mm -hmm. fingers crossed um should be awesome cool well that is it for us tonight on ff plus uh we hope that you have found a movie that piques your interest of course and we always would love to hear what you think about the films that we discussed so you can hit us up on twitter at feeling film and at black nerd magic or come join the feeling film facebook discussion group and chat about movies all day, every day with us, our other guest co-hosts, and cinephiles, movie lovers of all kinds. We will be back soon, of course. But until then, Coles has one thing to say. Um, Aaron, you're forgetting something. We're 14 away. We are so close. That's right. So before <laughs> you before you go off and feel film film feel film feel wobbly, <laughs> that word didn't come out right. You should rush to an Apple Podcast rating app or an iTunes program or whatever the hell iTunes is called. The <laughs> Apple Music, I think. I don't know. It has to be on an app, on an Apple device, or it has to be on the actual program on a desktop computer. It's so maddening. Point being is we are 14 ratings away from being able to submit ourselves for consideration at Rotten Tomatoes again. It's been a goal of ours. We've been working toward it. We've been denied a couple times, but only because they have this arbitrary number requirement and we have not been able to hit it. We're close. We're so close. So if you could just take the time to run over there on any and all of your Apple devices, you know, any friends, family you got that could jump on their devices and help us out, that would be amazing. All we need is a five-star rating if you want to write some awesome words to tell people why you love the podcast, we would appreciate the heck out of that as well. But you are by no means beholden to do that. Uh, just doing the rating will help us enough, and we would appreciate your support. So thank you, and thanks for a reminder, Kales. Like I said, we'll be back next week. We can't wait, of course, and uh, we'll talk to you then. Hey, everyone. Thanks again for listening. If you enjoyed the show, we'd love to hear from you. You can leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you're listening. These help increase visibility for the show and grow our community of listeners like you. We also invite you to connect with us further by joining our ever-growing Facebook discussion group. A link to that is in the show notes, or you can just search on Facebook and find us that way. If you'd like to continue the conversation with me, you can follow the show on Twitter, at Film. 
or connect with me in the Facebook group. I'm very active in both places and I'd love to chat. And if you want to connect with me, you can find me at Shoeless Patch on both Facebook and Twitter. But be sure to tag me in any comments so that I'll be notified and not miss you. Once again, thank you for listening. We'll be back soon. Until then, stay positive. And keep feeling film.